Well, good morning. Good morning. We are continuing our series in the book of John. So if you'd like to follow along with the notes, feel free to do that. They're in the bulletin. And so you can fill in a few blanks there if that'll help you. We are calling the series Encounters with Jesus. We're looking at the book of John from the perspective of people who interact with Jesus. There's a lot of good stuff in the book of John. We could be there for years. But we're trying to make our way through it looking at interactions with Jesus, knowing that we're going to kind of brush over some other things along the way. We've looked at, in chapter 1, the early disciples, Andrew, Peter, Philip, John, Nathaniel. We looked at chapter 3, Nicodemus. We looked at chapter 4, the Samaritan woman. Chapter 5, the crippled man at the pool. Now we're in chapter 6. And this week, it's not necessarily one individual we're going to look at. We're going to look at uh, a crowd. A crowd's interaction with Jesus. On the notes, it says the fickle crowd, because sometimes in the Bible, the crowds are fickle. And sometimes today, the crowds are fickle. And so that's what we're going to look at. And we'll also look at, it says here, what does Jesus do for the fickle crowd, the fringe disciples, and for us? That's the, the kind of guiding question of this message this morning. What does he do? And he does, he does things that, quite honestly, we may not want him to do, because Jesus is able to do that. Because he's God. So he can do what he wants. So if you want to turn in your Bible, we're going to be in John chapter 6. And I will try to go there as well. And like I said, because this is a long chapter, I don't intend on reading every verse. But we will read quite a few of them. So what does Jesus do? For the fickle crowd, the fringe disciples... And for us, number one, uh, we're going to write in there, he feeds them, he feeds them. So the context of this story is that prior to this, this, John chapter six doesn't actually give us all of the story. That says here, we'll read verse one and two. Sometime after this, okay, this is some, what happened in chapter five. Jesus crossed over to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. John chapter 6 doesn't give us the context, but we know this is actually uh, going to happen. The feeding of the 5,000. It's one of the few stories that's recorded in all four of the Gospels. And in the other uh, Gospels, the, the story sets it up right after the beheading of John the Baptist. So we know that right, after, right before this took place, John the Baptist, they found out he was beheaded by King Herod. John the Baptist was a great prophet. He was actually the cousin of Jesus. And so this troubled Jesus and his disciples. This was not good news. This was something that was challenging to them. And we also find out from the other passages where it talks about the feeding of the 5,000, that Jesus and his disciples were tired. Who's ever been tired before? Just been busy. They were serving people, healing people, miracles were going on. It says here that this crowd is following him because they've seen all these miracles. They've been going from town to town, village to village, helping, healing, preaching, and they were tired. And they heard this terrible news about John the Baptist. And so Jesus intends to get away with his disciples and take a rest, take a vacation, uh, go, go to a remote place, and let's just get some time away. Who's ever felt like that? That'd be a great idea just to take a week off and get away. Maybe you feel like that right now this morning. Can't, I mean, spring break can't come any sooner. I know Pastor Kerry was telling me that this morning. I just get to spring break. Get, get there and get a week off. You know, we look forward to those things. 
And so this is what's going on. But what happens is this crowd, because of uh, what Jesus has been doing, they, they follow him. He can't get away. You ever feel like if you have kids, you can never get away. We, we bought a bigger house this last year. We still can't get away from our kids. They're still there. No matter what, we can't find. But I mean, that's just life. It's okay. I love my kids. But you know, you're trying to get some privacy, get some space, and they just follow. And so here, here's Jesus and the disciples. They can play hide and seek, I guess, and hide behind some rocks. And you know, uh, Actually, my wife and I have been to the proposed location of where this took place in Israel. They don't really know, but it's off in the Sea of Galilee, up on this hill. Like, this might have been the area. Um, they don't know, but it's pretty cool where what, you look down on the Sea of Galilee. Um, but at any rate, Jesus doesn't get a break. He doesn't get a vacation. He doesn't get a rest. He sees these people, and the Bible says... In the other accounts, in Mark 6.34, it was one example. He, he has compassion on the crowd. He looks out on them and says, this is a crowd. They're sheep without a shepherd. And I'm tired and I'm saddened because of this news I got. But you know what? I care about these people. I care about them. And the disciples, they're like, oh, I guess we should care as well. You know, They're kind of taking their lead from Jesus. And so the, what they do, you have everybody sit down. He doesn't hide from them. He doesn't run from them. He doesn't send them away. He has them all sit down and he teaches them for a good period of time through the day. He teaches them uh, about the kingdom of God. And as this time of the day draws to a close, the disciples in the story, they, they want to send the people off. Let's send them off to the towns. They can go buy food, find somewhere to stay uh, because you know we did our duty. Let's get on to our vacation. But Jesus says, you know what? You guys provide them with some food. How about you guys? You guys feed them. And they kind of laugh. They scoff at this idea, if you read the story, because this is a crowd of, of at least 5,000, 5,000 plus, 5,000 men. And, and where in the world are the disciples, the 12, going to find uh, food for this huge crowd? And, and Philip says, you know, eight months' wages would not buy enough bread for everybody to have one bite. There's no way we can do this. Jesus, that's ridiculous. So Jesus says, no, but I, I got a plan. I got, I got something I can do. So he has them all sit down. We know the story. If you went to Sunday school, who remember this in Sunday school with the flannel board? You ever did the flannel board with the little things? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, you, know, you stick the little things there and they have a little thing on the, yeah, they got the Jesus and there's the Lowe's. There's a little boy, right? The little boy. This is good Sunday school because the little boy brings his lunch, right? That's all he has. He's got his little lunchable, right? And so he brings his little lunchable and Peter's like, hey, look what we got. Jesus tells everybody to sit down and they break it. And then all of a sudden, the little lunchable turns into a massive meal for the entire crowd, plus leftovers. Because you love leftovers. Who likes leftovers? They're great to fill up your refrigerator with, you know, and then they grab, they grow mold. That's what we do. Um, but so we have these leftovers. They, they feed the entire crowd with this little lunch, five loaves, two fish. Everybody's satisfied. Everybody eats all that they want. It's not like they just took a bite and then, okay, I'm not hungry anymore. They, they gorge themselves. And then there's 12 basketfuls left over. So he feeds this crowd. He takes care of their needs. He, Jesus looks at this crowd with compassion and he cares about them. This is important to know. Jesus cares about your needs. He cares about what you're going through. Even, you know, sometimes, you know, maybe we can be exhausting to God. You know, maybe, you know, I don't even feel like, man, maybe I'm, I'm not too much, you know, God. But no, you're not because Jesus cares about you. And he cares about your needs. And so he feeds them. And, and, and the people are, are excited. This is an amazing miracle. And it says in John, we'll read, skip down to verse 14. It says this, after the people saw the sign, they realized this was miraculous. This was not just everybody actually had lunch. I've read some, you know, the people that don't want to confess the miracles. Everybody actually had their own lunch. And when 
the little boy came forward, everybody said, oh, I'll, I'll bring my lunch out now. You know, that was the miracle. Because somebody stepped forward and was the first one. No, that no, it was actually a miraculous sign because it says this. When the people saw the sign, this, this is a miracle that Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. These people were geeked out. This, this is amazing. Not only were we believing, we came, we showed up, we saw miracles. Now we're here. Jesus did one for us. Man, we are all about this. And, we, and from scripture, we might conclude that these folks are convinced now of Jesus' deity. They're convinced of his messiahship. Or at least they're willing to listen and follow what he has to say. They'd already been pursuing Jesus because of miracles. We read that in verse 2. Now they've experienced one. And, and, and they're caught up in this joy and wonder. But Jesus knew that out of their zeal and exuberance, they would go to extreme measures to bring about an earthly kingdom that may not have been God's plan. I don't know if you've ever been excited. Who's ever been fired up about something? Got excited. Maybe you're watching the Gamecocks and they actually won, you know, or something like that. Or maybe, you know, I don't know. Maybe you're watching, I don't know, your team won. I mean, I got excited the first half of the last Super Bowl. Falcons are up 28-3. Yes. And then, oh, let me down. You know, that's still burned by that one. But, you know, we, I, I, let me give you an example. One time, when, when I was in high school, my senior year, our football team was really good. You know why? I wasn't on it. That's why. <laughs> we were really good. And, and, but I was the guy that ran the flag out of, to lead the team out. I, 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 Mike, you can laugh. I was the flag runner kid, you know, because I was voted the most spirited uh, senior in, in high school. I was. This is a true story. Okay, so I got to ride on the bus with the cheerleaders. I was cool with that. I was okay with that. All right. Uh, so anyway, I ran the flag out, and, and we were we were good because I wasn't on the team. We were good, and I like football, but they were playing, and I was running the flag out and cheering them on. And so we got to the state championship, Georgia class. Four A was all they had back then. We were the biggest school, you know, whatever. We won state championship on our field. Everybody runs out, jumps on the goalposts. Hangs on them and they fall over. Thankfully, nobody got crushed because that would have been pretty bad news. So we're sitting there like, yeah, we pulled the goalpost down. This is amazing. And we were just geeked out, excited, fired up. And then we're like, let's pick these up and carry them to Brookwood, which was our rival, which had nothing to do with this game at all. But we were so mad at Brookwood because they were our rival. Let's carry these goalposts to Brookwood. Yeah, and all my buddies were all fired up. And we're like, yeah. We pick them up. We start walking. They were like, um, it's kind of heavy. <laughs> this is kind of dumb. Let, uh, let's not. Let's just go do something else. So we put them down and we were dumb enough. For about two or three minutes, we were dead set, fired up, excited, full of zeal to carry the goalposts six miles down the road to Brookwood High School. We were going to set them on their field and say, yeah. Well, we didn't do that, thankfully, because that would have been dumb. <laughs> zeal is a good thing. The Bible talks about us to, uh, you know, being zealous. Be passionate. But you know what? The Bible also says, Proverbs 19, 2, that it's not good to have zeal without knowledge. It's not good to, to be hasty and miss the way. Proverbs 19, 2. Write that one down. So zeal is a good thing, but zeal can lead us in weird directions. It can lead us off the path that God wants us on. And that's what Jesus knew, that these people were fired up, but they were on their own plan. They were on their own agenda. They were excited about Jesus, but that was going to lead them on to their own little way. They weren't excited enough to follow and actually do what Jesus said. They're excited about Jesus because they wanted Jesus to do stuff for them. And so this, we're going to continue to read what happened. So what does Jesus do in response to all this? Number two, he flees from them. He flees from them. 
He says, bye-bye. Verse 15. Let me read this one to you. It says this, verse 15. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. So in all their passion, all their excitement, Jesus said, this, uh, I'm going to go for a second. I'm going to let that marinate with you a little bit and see where this leads you. Because I'm out. I don't know, you know, sometimes people get fired up about God. They go to, a, I don't know, I was a youth pastor for 12 years. We went to camps, went to retreats, went to youth conventions. People all get fired up. But then you got to let that marinate for a second and see what happens. Because a lot of times it just fires itself right back down. So Jesus goes off. He says, okay, we'll see what happens with that. And so he goes up back to the mountain, kind of disappears. And in the next story, we're not going to read it. But you can read it this week. He sends the disciples across, you know, kind of catty corner on the lake. And they go to another, go up to, toward Capernaum. And this is the story of Jesus walking on the water. Which is pretty amazing. You know, Jesus is going to go catch back up to them. He goes up to the mountain. He sends them across. There's no boats there. He says, ah, I'll just walk. So he's going to walk across the water. And he meets up with them. They think it's a ghost. And all this crazy stuff. It's an awesome story. Um, gets in the boat. And they, they're on to somewhere else. And they have eluded the crowd. The crowd is gone. But we find out that the crowd is like, what in the world just happened? So they're still fired up. They still want to see what Jesus will do next. And it's kind of like my wife and I saw that Greatest Showman movie this week. I don't know if you saw that one or not, but it's uh, P.T. Barnum, the story of his life with a lot of embellishments <laughs> along the way. Um, but the idea is that this guy put on a good show. And a lot of people came to see his good show, and they knew a lot of stuff was a little bit fake. You know, a lot of the little things he kind of embellished. And, but the point was, if you left with a smile, that's what matters. That was kind of the point of the movie. I, sorry if I spoiled for you, if you're going to go watch it. But, you know, they left with a smile. They were excited. He gave people a smile, and that's what it's all about. But, you know, Jesus is not P.T. Barnum. He's not concerned that you leave with a smile. Sometimes you might. But sometimes you might not. Right? Sometimes Jesus, at work in your life, leaves you with joy, smiles. This is great. Sometimes it doesn't. That's what we're going to see in this story. Jesus not leaving people with smiles all the time. He's trying to leave them with the truth. He's trying to leave them with what will give them life. Not just fill, fill their stomach for the moment. And so he leaves. They go across. The, the crowd is all still excited. They find some boats. And they, they get on. Somehow, someway, they, they meet back up with Jesus. Now, they go to Capernaum because that's actually kind of his home base of ministry. And, and it's really kind of a cool town. Like I said, my wife and I went to Israel few years back and we actually went to Capernaum we went to the synagogue there and which is still standing and they also have Simon Peter's mother-in-law's house where they believe her house was and so that's like a little memorial thing there they had a thing they built over and all this stuff um, so it's an interesting little town um, but this is where Jesus went he went to there to teach in the synagogue and all this crowd shows back up and now they have another scene what's gonna happen you know, are they gonna are they gonna get fed again what's gonna happen so Jesus has fleed from them and other people show back up. And, 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 and you could look at this and say, man, that's a serious commitment. These people, man, they, they got back in boats. They went and followed Jesus. Man, that's pretty good. Because sociologists today will say that a regular church attender, they've now defined a regular church attender as somebody that comes once a month. That's the bar. You could be a regular with Jesus once a month. That's what George Barna, the other sociologists, that's what they say. So, I mean, compared to how they define it today, that's, pretty, that's some pretty good commitment. Leave them what they have to do, whatever their jobs are. They're going to go find what Jesus has to say and what he's going to do next. When they get there, verse 25, let's continue reading here, John 6, 25. So when they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, 
when did you get here? Hey, you're, you're like you're trying to leave us or something. What's the deal here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you were seeking me not because you saw signs, which they did, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for food that perishes, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. The Living Bible puts it this way, verse 26. Jesus replied, the truth of the matter is that you want to be with me because I fed you, not because you believe in me. See, they had the right, they, they were in the right place, but for the wrong reason. They had the right person, but they had the wrong perception of who he was. About uh, 10 years ago, 12 years ago, when we lived here, uh, before we moved to Virginia and came back, um, back in the good old days, living in Carrie and Kim's attic, it was a great time of our life, highlight of probably our whole marriage, um, not so much. But when, when we lived here before, um, I worked in a sign company, trying to make ends meet, selling signs, or actually not really selling signs, but trying to sell signs. And Every day I would drive around and I tried to plan my day by uh, making it at lunchtime to either St. Andrews Road or Garnersbury Road because, not because I love those locations, but because there was a CeCe's Pizza, St. Andrews Road and Garnersbury Road. Those are the two CeCe's Pizzas in Columbia, if you're wondering. And CeCe's Pizza at that time had a program, I don't know if they still have it, where they would give a little card to pastors. It was free lunch, for real. I mean, they gave it to me. I'm like, okay, I have this free CeCe's Pizza lunch card in my wallet. I'm going to use it almost every day because I'm broke <laughs> and I want to eat. And that's a buffet. And I didn't care about eating a lot of carbs back then. I was younger. So I just, whatever. And so I would go to CeCe's Pizza all the time. And if you would look from the outside, you would think, man, this guy loves some CeCe's. And the truth is, it was okay. What I loved was the fact it was free. That's what I loved. And so here, here's, here's how we are as people. It's a lot of we look at the outside of stuff. That's what we do. And the perception is one thing, but the reality is something else. The perception is, oh, okay, that's what it means to be a Christian. Or this is what it looks like to follow the Lord. Or this is what God really is all about. And we can get perceptions, but then sometimes it's not connected to what the reality is. But what does all this have to do with us? When we think about Jesus fleeing from them, the Bible says that the... the to Jesus will never leave us nor forsake us. And so we have, to, we have to get it straight with other scriptures. Jesus is not going to flee from you. Kyle, he's not going to say, you know, I'm done with you for like two or three months. You know, I'm just going to leave. But at, there are times in our walk with the Lord where it seems like that. Where it seems like that. Where he seems far from us. It doesn't mean that he is. But we can feel a distance from God. And, and I believe God will allow that feeling in our lives for a reason. He's going to see what we're going to do with that. When God seems far, what are we going to do? Are we just going to say, well, what's on Netflix? You know, I mean, let's, let's check that out. Or are we going to say, you know what, Lord, where are you? I'm going to seek after you. And I would give the crowd some credit for seeking after the Lord, but why are they seeking? This is where Jesus is going to push them even further. Why are you here? What are you looking for? What really do you want out of all of this? What are your motivations? You know, from the outside, it looks like everything is great. You know, hey, they show back up. They're making a lot of effort. But internally, what's going on in your heart? That's what God's all about. So number three, what does he do? After he flees from them, number three, he frustrates them. He frustrates them. 
This is the where the story takes a weird turn. Jesus has a crowd. They're all banging down the door to see him, to be with him. But why? What are the motivations? And this is what Jesus seems to be concerned about with them and with us. What's our motivation? What's in our heart? Not just what's on the outside. Religion looks at the outside. What are you doing on the externals? Did you check these boxes? Did you do this, 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 and this? Okay. But, but Jesus looks at our heart. In the Old Testament, 1 Samuel 16, 7 says that man looks on the outward appearance. The Lord looks at the heart. As human beings, we, we're stuck with the outward appearance. We're not that wise or insightful to look at somebody's heart all the time. We, we just see what we see. Looks like you like Cece's pizza. That's all I can see. I didn't know he had a card in his wallet. He got it for free. I didn't know that. The next chapter of John, John 7.24, Jesus says this to a crowd of people as well. Some of the Pharisees and the leaders he says, stop judging by mere appearances and make a right judgment. Human beings are, are notorious for this. We look at appearances, we look at the outside, and we make our judgments. But what we need to do is stop for a second and, and maybe allow the Lord to give us wisdom beyond that and make a right judgment. So this is what happens. This is picking up in verse 28. After Jesus says, I don't think you really believe in me. You're just here for the food. Then they ask him, well, what must we do to do the works God requires? Okay, so Jesus, what, what do we need to do? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. Isn't that crazy? The work of God. These are what you need to do. Is it walk 500 miles and then 500 more? Is it... Uh, you know, to go and, and, and do all these different things. No, to believe in the one he has sent. That's the work. That's what I'm asking you to do. That's it. That seems really simple, right? It seems really simple. You'd think the crowd is already there. You'd think they're already, okay, we'll have to check that off. We're here. But maybe it's not so simple. Maybe it seems simple, but maybe it's a little bit more challenging than we think because believe, the word there is, is pistuo. It's it's to trust, to, to commit. Belief is not mental assent that, oh, I think that's probably true. Oh, I can believe that. Belief in a biblical sense is to trust and to commit yourself to what you trust. Sometimes pastors, I've seen pastors do this with a chair. They sit in the chair. Do you trust the chair? You know, if you, if you don't sit in it. And all this little illustration, I didn't bother taking time doing that. But basically the thought is if you don't sit in the chair and put your weight on it, you don't really, you may believe it'll hold you, but you got to actually go through the process of trusting. We have to trust the Lord with our lives. And the crowd had not got to a point of trust. They were just there for what could happen, what, what good things could happen for me. And many of us are like that. We come to the Lord, Lord, can you heal this? Can you fix this? Can you give a check in my mailbox? Can you, what, what can happen here? What good things can happen for me from this relationship? And, and I'm all about it for what can happen for me. But sometimes uh, the Lord will, will maybe put a little stop on the good things for a moment. And then we have to wonder, do I really trust him? Do I trust him in this moment? Because good things aren't coming anymore. There's no more food. There's no more whatever. I, I don't see where, where's the, where's the help? What's the good here? And that's where we really boil down to what is our motivation? Do we want him or do we want what he can give us? This is a, this is a tough thing. And, and look, look at the crowd. The work, of, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. Verse 29. So, so they asked him. This is, a, this is incredible. What sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? <laughs> what will you do? 
Look at this. They had already been following for the miracles. They had experienced a miracle. And now they're wanting more. Well, what will you do? God, God, will you meet this need? Will you do this next? God, will you? Well, what will you do? I don't know if we can trust you. I don't know if we can believe because we need something more. We need a little bit more. What's, what's the next? Maybe I'll take that step of faith that God will just do that one more thing for me. If he'll just meet this one more, then I'll really put my faith. I'll really trust him at this point. If God will just answer this, this request. It's interesting because rather than all of the things that God had already done being sufficient, they want something else. Hadn't Jesus already done plenty for them to give them enough uh, reason to believe? I would say yes, but this is what it's like being a human being. We always want something more. We always want something beyond. We always tend to forget what happened back here and want something else. We forget about all that God has done for us many times, and we want, well, you know, I don't know where God's at right now. We forget all that he has done to bring, bring us to where we're at. And we need God to do one more thing. Then, then we'll really be totally in. But truth is, God has done so much to bring us to this room today. And a lot of times we've just cast that off as like, ah, I guess so. He's done so much for each one of us. There's a story in the Bible in Luke 16. Jesus tells this parable about, it's called the rich man and Lazarus. Where this rich man who lives a total self-centered life, ignores this poor man and lives all about himself, ends up in torment, and the, and the poor man ends up in paradise. And in the, in the parable, uh, the rich man is, is uh, sorrowful, obviously, for being in torment. And he doesn't want his family, his brothers, to end up where he is. And so he, he requests to Abraham in this parable that the, the Lazarus, this poor man, go back from the dead. And, and preach and speak to his brothers and tell them that they should change and be different. But, but what Abraham responds in this parable is that it's simply this. It's, it's verse uh, 31 of Luke 16. He says, he said to him, if they did not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. A lot of times, I mean, signs are, are signs are great. And God can do a miracle and he can I mean, he could do so much in your life, but you know, at some point, you don't need more of God to do something for you to believe. It's really an internal choice. Am I going to take a step of faith and trust him? Because God can do, he could keep doing things over and over. If someone can rise from the dead and show up at your doorstep, and honestly, for some people, that's not even enough. That's not even going to convince them. They're like, one, one more thing. Maybe that's great, but what about one more thing? And God says, you know, you don't need more signs. What you need is, is to believe. You need to trust me. You need to take a step of faith. They wanted their needs to be met. This crowd wanted to be entertained. They wanted life to be easy. They wanted that type of relationship with God. But what did they get? Instead, is they get a challenging teaching that really kind of draws out where are you really at? God will, from time to time, frustrate us. He'll frustrate us by not doing what, he want, what we think he should do. We read the Bible. It doesn't say exactly what we want it to say. And God will do these things to frustrate us to see if we really trust him. Do we really trust him in this situation? Yeah, it's not exactly how I would do it, but God, what are you up to here? Do I trust you or do I, do I give up on you, God? Or do I try to take my own path and make it my own way? Let me continue reading here. So this is how it goes. This is kind of a longer passage. just kind of tracking me here. So they asked him, what sign will you give that we may see it and believe? What will you do? Our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness as is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. So will you give us manna? Let's do something even greater. 
Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, always give us this bread. Give us some bread. We like bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me and you still do not believe. Skip down to verse 41. It says this, at, the, at this the Jews began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say I came down from heaven? Interestingly, right after the miracle of the 5,000, they were saying, this is the prophet who's coming into the world. And now they're saying, uh, this, is, this is Jesus, Joseph's son. Well, this is Carpenter's son. Uh, wait, wait a second. So they go from Total, absolute belief. This is an amazing, miraculous prophet in the world. Uh, no, this is just Joseph's son. No, I don't know about it. Now, you're talking crazy talk now. I don't know if I believe you anymore. Verse 51, we skip down a little bit further. Jesus says, I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This is where it starts to get a little crazy. The people, uh, this, blood, this bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. And the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Are we cannibals? Gee, no, no, definitely vegans. I mean, vegans don't eat flesh. This is not even possible, right? Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise them up on the last day, for my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. Jesus preaches metaphors, analogies, parables all the time, and people are like, what? Huh? And it does this intentionally, because he wants to get in our hearts. Do we want to listen? Do we want to believe? Or do we want to just cast it aside and say, oh, that's a bunch of religious craziness? People today, they don't want to, we're so quick today. Get on the internet, get on message boards. Oh, that's a bunch of garbage. My opinion, your opinion. Do we want to stop and listen? Do we want to actually, you know, maybe you work with somebody that's like, oh, the Bible's a bunch of, full of a bunch of lies and it's full of a bunch of errors. Well, have you read the Bible? Have you looked at it? Have you actually looked at it yourself or does it just have your opinion? Many of us will just hear one thing and we just, or people you work with or interact with, they, they have one thing in the Bible and then that just blocks everything. And this is the people, they start to hear some stuff that, this is a little weird. This is weird language. Are we going to believe? But truly, this is a powerful teaching of Jesus. He's foreshadowing the communion meal. The Passover, he's the Passover lamb. This is, this is the powerful teaching. It's true. It's not literal. You don't literally eat his flesh. Okay? But we, we participate in this, this metaphor, this powerful analogy about the Passover lamb being slain for the sins of the world. And we, we feed on Jesus in our life. We, we look to him for our, our resources, our source, our, our, our very life that we have. We feed on him. That's what gives us life. And so just like many of Jesus' parables and teachings, the hearers stumbled over the analogies and language because their hearts were not interested in further investigation. Hearts were not interested in that. They were interested in what makes me happy right now. I don't want to dig in deeper. I don't want to learn anymore. I want to... This is getting weird, and I don't know if I'm about it. So at the first sense of frustration, they begin to give up and walk away. Maybe you're frustrated here this morning. Maybe something's not going right. God's not doing what you thought he should do, saying what you thought he should say. 
what are you going to do? Are you going to be like the crowd, the fickle crowd, the, the disciples, the French disciples? You're going to give up and say, you know what, I don't know about all this. Or are you going to dig in deeper and say, I don't understand, but I know, I, I know that you are the source of life. I need to feed on you, Jesus. I know I've been frustrated with God. To be honest, in my life, the times where God has not done what I thought he should do, hasn't answered the prayers I thought he should answer, hasn't met the needs I thought he, and I knew he could, right? We all get frustrated if, we, if we, we're honest. We walk with the Lord, we get frustrated because we don't see God doing what he think, we think he should be doing. And in those moments of frustration, it's a test of our faith. Right. Will we trust him? Right. Will we trust him? When this situation doesn't go the way I thought it should, when it seems so clear what God should have done, even though he didn't, will we trust him? Will we trust him? Here's what happens in this, this story. Verse 60, on hearing it, many of his disciples, he had more than 12. He had many fringe disciples, people that were thinking about following Jesus. It was more than just the 12. So many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? This is tough. I don't know if I can believe this. This is, this is more than I really want to deal with. Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? He doesn't say, oh, I'm sorry, but let me just break it down, make a little water down a little bit for you. He's still challenging them. He's does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and full of life. Yet there's some of you don't believe. You don't trust me. Verse 66, from that time, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed. This is not a uh, feel-good, happy story in a way. Where Jesus feeds 5,000, there's this huge crowd, the church grows, all these great things happen. No, in fact, at the end, all the crowd just kind of dissipates. They're like, oh, I don't know if we're really interested in all this. This is getting, I don't know. It doesn't seem like he wants to give us manna from heaven or more food. I don't know. We're we'll, we'll going to do whatever we're normally doing. Sometimes it's like that. Jesus will frustrate us enough to see where our faith really is. Is it in what we can get? Is it him meeting our needs? Giving us stuff that makes our lives easier and better? Or is it truly in Jesus, you are enough? Who you are is enough. Knowing the Creator God is enough. Your, your life slain for the sins of the world, covering my sins, is enough. I don't need you to, to do this, to do that, do something else. Knowing that you love me, that you've forgiven me, that's enough. This is the sad reality of the Christian faith that many times those who start don't always finish. Those who start when I was finished, Jesus told a parable, Matthew 13, the parable of the sower. Cast the seed out on the soil. You may know this parable. And that, you know, some, some parts are rejecting automatically. They don't want anything to do with it. Okay, but there's other two, two types of soil that the, the seed does get some sort of growth. But it's interesting that the soil that has uh, the rocks in it, the rocky soil, Jesus likens this to trouble and persecution. When life gets hard, the, the has no roots. The roots aren't growing and it dies. Some people, when life gets hard, their faith shrivels up because they thought faith was about life being easy, that, that Jesus takes care of all your problems. And when that doesn't happen, everything falls apart. This is what happens with people sometimes. But the other situation was when it's choked out by the weeds. Some, this is Jesus saying that the worries of life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and in fact, this is where life gets easy. Sometimes when life gets easy, 
people give up on faith. What do I need faith for? I got it myself. What do I need God for? I'm doing great. God's for when things are going wrong. So it could be either way. Your life could be going south and things are going tough. And you're like, you know what? This is not, I don't think God's really real because he's not helping me. Or life could be going great. You could have all the money in the world and realize, you know, what do I need God for? I'm good. This is the, the issue even in Lexington. There are many people that really, they may give a little tip, half tip to God because they, you know, we're all kind of Christians here or whatever. But truly, life's great. I don't really need God. I got a nice house. I got, you know, bills paid. And there's people that are struggling on the flip side that are going through. And they're wondering, man, if God doesn't meet this need, I'm giving up. And we got to be able to communicate truth. We got to be able to communicate in our lives that God is faithful because he wants to feed us. He wants to take care of us. He wants to provide for us. But he doesn't always do it like we think. He doesn't always do it the way we want. He loves us. He has compassion on our needs. But he will not just do exactly what we think. We have to be willing to say, Lord, I trust you. I don't get it, but I trust you. Listen to what the disciples do. Number four, finally, he fulfills a few of them. He fulfills a few of them. John 6, verse 67. Lord, it says this. You do not want to leave two. This is Jesus speaking. You do not want to leave two, do you? Yeah, Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him because Simon Peter always is the one to answer that's his job. Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We've come to believe and know you are the Holy One of God. You know, I have, I have to kind of believe because of other Bible stories and examples of the disciples that they didn't understand what Jesus was saying either. They were probably thinking, yeah, this is kind of a hard teaching. We don't understand it either. We don't really get it. But you know what? We don't have any other option. Like we've eliminated our other choices. Peter says, where else are we going to go? We don't have, we, we cut off all these other little, if this doesn't work out, we're going over here. If this doesn't happen, Jesus, we, we put all of our chips in on the table on you. We pushed them in the middle. We got nothing else. And so I don't, you know, I, I have to believe Peter and all those guys, they didn't get it. They didn't understand a lot of the other stuff Jesus was saying, but they said, you know, we trust you. We trust what you're saying. We don't understand it, but we trust you. We trust you, Jesus. And so, Jesus ends up with a smaller group of people than he started with, which happens quite a bit. If you fast forward to Palm Sunday, crowds are singing his praise, how great Jesus is, and all this laying palm branches there. Coats and jackets and all this sort of thing. And then a week later, they're like, eh, maybe it wasn't all the same people. Maybe there were different folks. But the point is, there were not a lot of people standing by Jesus' side a week later. That's right. Situations really have an impact on our faith. We have to be aware of why, why are we really here? Why are we trying to follow Jesus? It's because we think he's going to make everything right right now. <laughs> Because a lot of times he won't. This week could actually, I hate to say this because in church you think like everything's supposed to be uplifting. You know? But this week could actually be a terrible week for you. I hate to say that. It could be a terrible week for me. But that's life. But you know what? God is still in control. That's right. God still loves you. Amen. And God is still with you. Amen. 
no matter what your week looks like, no matter what your month looks like, no matter what your year looks like. That's the tough thing about life. Sometimes we go through tragedy, difficulty, things that will not go away. Situations where you're like, God, why don't you just take this away? I don't get it. But he is with us no matter what. And that's in those moments. James 1 says, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And perseverance must finish its works that you will be mature and complete, not lacking anything. God is wanting to make us mature disciples, mature followers of him. And to do that, he has to bring us through things. And there's moments where we're like, well, God, what are you doing? Where are you at? Why does the Bible say this? Why does it say something else? I don't get this. And those are the moments where we have to decide, am I going to trust him? Or am I going to just do my own thing? Kyle, if, if you'll come. The truth is that the Lord does want to feed us. I don't want you to hear this message and think, well, I guess I'm on my own because you're not. The Lord cares about our needs. He cares about what you're going through. He sees everything. He, he, he tells us to pray and bring them before him. And so if you're, if you're here in a situation and you're going through something, don't stop praying about it. Don't stop bringing it to him. That's how we show that we trust him. We keep praying. We keep bringing it to him. Because we know he can do something. And he wants to. He will. It may not be in our timing, but he's able and he will. So keep seeking him. Keep praying. Keep bringing that to him. That's how we, we show our trust in the Lord. If you just say, you know what, I don't know. Whatever will happen, will happen. Then we stop trusting God. So we got to keep bringing our needs to Him. You may be here and, and you feel like, you know, where is God? I'm going through a season where I just don't feel close to Him. I want to remind you that He has not left you. He's not far from you. Even if you don't feel Him. So keep seeking after Him. The Bible says if we, if we seek Him, we'll, we'll find Him. We seek Him with all of our heart. So we continue to seek Him even when we don't know or feel His presence. Maybe you're going through a time where God is frustrating you, honestly. Because maybe this, this walk with Him, this relationship with Him is not going how you thought it would. Where God's not doing what you thought He would do or saying what you thought He would say. I want to encourage you that this is the times that refine and test your faith. That to make, make your faith stronger, God will do this. So that you come out on the other side a more mature, more complete person. He's doing this to make you who you need to be. That God ultimately will fulfill each one of us when we put our faith and trust in Him. When we say, you know what, I have nowhere else to go. There's nothing else. There's no other God. There's no other thing that's going to satisfy. There's no other option. I'm looking to you, Jesus. I pushed all my chips in. Jesus, you're who I'm looking for. You're who I'm looking to. You know, there's a story in the Old Testament about three Hebrew boys, and I'll, and I'll end on this. They're... Uh, Babylonian named Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And the story is uh, that they were all commanded to bow down to this idol of King Nebuchadnezzar. And they decided this is not what God's people do. We bow to the one and only. And it's not this king. So at the, the perils of their life, they decide we're going to stand. We're not going to bow. And they are brought before the king. The king says, well, you, you can have one last chance here. 
Because we're going to throw you into this furnace of fire. We're going to kill you. So what are you going to do? And the response of these, these guys is incredible. Because it shows a trust and faith in God. Not based on what God is going to do, but based on who God is. They say, we'll never bow. We're never going to compromise what is right. Because God can save us from this furnace. God can save us from the most difficult situation. But then they say, even if, even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't, we're still not going to bow. Because God doesn't always do what we want. But he's still worthy of our praise. He's still worthy of our worship. He's still worthy of being God in our lives. No matter what he does. Amen? If you would stand to your feet, let's just, let's just reflect on this reality in our lives. I don't know what you're going through this morning. I don't know what's happening in your life, but the Lord does. So let's take a few moments as Kyle and Liz play. Let's just ask the Lord to strengthen our faith. If we're being frustrated by the Lord right now, if we're being in a difficult situation where we don't feel like God is doing what we want Him to, let's let Him strengthen our faith this morning. If we're wondering where He is, let's seek after Him. If we have a need, let's continue to bring that to Him. And let's know that Jesus is what we need. He will fulfill us. He alone. Amen.